Hello everyone, welcome to Quantum Catechesis. I'm Father Joe Krupp and you are not in today. Today, today is pregame for Thanksgiving. I have been eating like a wild man in order to expand the tent pegs of my stomach. I just made that up right here, right now. I like it. You're welcome. Uh, today is a church. We celebrate the feast of Pope St. Clement the First. Uh, what do we know about him? We know he's dead. I didn't even know he was sick. Uh, he was one of our first popes after Peter. Uh, and we really don't know a ton. But uh, what we do know is he was arrested under the, uh, what's his name, the Roman Emperor Trajan. Okay. And uh, he was sentenced to be worked to death in the mines. This was often what they would do um, to non-Roman citizen Christians, right? Roman citizens, Romans did not allow them to torture. Although, once the Republic collapsed, that rule changed, but blah, blah, blah. So, they sent him off to work him to death in the mines. What that tended to mean is they did not feed you or give you much water and just worked you till you were dead. Um, while he was working, you know, very thirsty, he uh, at night had a dream of an angel pointing to a place. When he woke up the next day and they were working, he saw something that looked at that place, went and dug and water sprung up and all the workers got a drink. Um, and uh, the slaves with him uh, wanted to convert them and he began to baptize them and other such things. So the Romans didn't like that, so they literally took him out to the Mediterranean, tied him to an anchor, and threw it in the ocean. Mm. And that's how he died. Uh, he is the patron saint, are you ready for this, of riverboat captains. <laughs> really? Can you imagine? He's it's like, like, God has a sense of humor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's like, yeah. <laughs> it's like you got to make St. Paul the patron saint of headaches because they cut his head off. You know what I mean? Oh, and then St. Bartholomew, they skinned him alive. He could be the patron saint of skin care. <laughs> Dove, brought to you by St. Bartholomew. <laughs> so anyway, before I get into this, my kung fu is strong. We have here Allie Pirich, whom I love, 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 and I love her mom and dad. And they aren't here because they have good taste. <laughs> uh, but Allie is here um, because we begged her to come and bring her sunshine with her. She uh, works for, uh, we don't say Lansing Catholic Charities anymore. It's St. Vincent Catholic Charities in Lansing. Am I saying this yes. right? Yeah. Yeah. And they kick so much butt, it's not even normal. Uh, we just did a fundraiser together, what, three weeks ago? I yep. don't know. I'm bad at the passage of time. October 25th. October 25th, whenever that was. I think this is November right now, mm -hmm. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And uh, halfway through, she got arrested, but it still went on. <laughs> you know, the event still went on, and we raised a quarter of a billion dollars. That's not true at all. But uh, so you remember just last week, I think, I went on and on about Catholic Charities, and I think I talked like 20 minutes about it. I just can't say enough. Yeah, and particularly during these days when the uh, when the pro-abortion crowd, well, what do you do? Well, you don't care about them once they come out of the womb. A, that's a really stupid reason to support abortion. Uh, B, it's just not true. The Catholic Church is amazing. Speaking of amazing, Dad is here. Uh, so 
with all that, I think we're going to get right back into Moses. Yeah? You guys in? And remember the quote from the book of Exodus. Yeah? Quote, Moses supposes his toses are roses, but Moses supposes erroneously. Now, Moses, he knows his toses aren't roses as Moses supposes his toses to be. That's in the book of Exodus. <laughs> Don't look it up. So last week, when we left our hero... He was languishing in the desert with this stiff-necked people, yeah? And that's how the Bible keeps referring to them. And what we want to keep in mind, because we're going to get, if you're like me, you're going to get angrier and angrier at these folks who uh, keep experiencing these miracles and then saying, we just want to be slaves again. It was easier. We could predict where our meals came from, right? You remember this? And that it says right away uh, that the Lord took pity on them because slavery broke them, right? Being slaves just broke them in a profound way. And as we get to this part, we're going to see how deep those wounds run. Um, now, last week, I did talk a little bit about the story of the uh, golden calf, but I skipped some things because Chuck's attitude is a problem. And I want to, uh, in the words of the press secretary, circle back uh, to the golden calf story. I found that funny. And then once I said it, I thought, is that political? I don't want to be political. I hate political. <clears throat> so <clears throat> you may remember the setup for the story. Moses is up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments from the Lord. And when he was down on the ground, it says that the people came to Aaron or Aaron and said, quote, as for Moses, the guy who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what became of him. So they don't know what's going on up there, but it's freaking them out. And so they ask Aaron, make an image of God for us. Now, Aaron uh, did, and this is the, I should have went into this more. So that's why I'm coming back. Is this all right? Mm -hmm. And you may remember God told them, don't bring gold with you, but they had gold with them so much so that Aaron melted it down and made some sort of image, be it a calf or a throne. We're not at all sure. Nobody who was alive then is still alive. But uh, when Moses, is he still up on the mountain? And then there's this line in scripture, and this is one I should have hit because it's important. So they started to party with their new God, right? His name was Bucky Dent. That's not true. That's not true. I can't remember what they called. Uh, basically, Aaron brings out this calf or this throne and says, this is the God who brings you out of Egypt, and quote. They rose up the next day and offered burnt offerings, and they brought peace offerings. The people then sat down to eat and drink, and then they rose up to play. Okay, you might, to play? That's, do you remember how I told you when St. Jerome translated the Bible, he started using euphemisms for the more earthy things? They basically started engaging in what we could politely call fertility rites. This is a big part of worship back then for a lot of the Canaanite tribes. And you can see why the Jews were always tempted. Uh, it's like, oh, that's worship? <laughs> I love to pray. But be this as it may, this is what's going on downtown when Moses is up on the mountain. And then the Lord says something very heartbreaking to Moses. Are you ready? Quote, go down to your people. <laughs> this is the first time God doesn't say my people. They rejected him. 
He told them not to do something, and they deliberately did it. But it's just a heartbreaking line. Go down to your people, ready? Whom you took out of Egypt. Uh, and basically show them the consequences. This is as mad as God gets. And I mean this. You'll, you'll see. Uh, and that's why I thought I should have went into this more. Now, the reason I decided to go into it more is because I told you I can't remember why God had them drink the gold. Do you remember Moses got mad, came down, smashed the tablets on the mountain? Why? They broke the covenant. So, all right, boom, we don't need no covenant no more. That's exactly what Moses said. And then it says he took the statue, shattered it, melted it down, sprinkled in the gold dust into water and made everyone drink it. And I said, I'm not sure why he did that. I found out why. It was to show them the powerlessness of the God they worship. Look, I smashed the statue. Nothing happened. Look, you're going to drink some of it. Nothing's going to happen. This isn't a God. It's a lump of gold. Okay. So isn't that interesting? I, I, anyway, so what's kind of funny is now this happens and the people are starting to get a little upset. They liked their new little God and they liked the time to play. Moses, in the meantime, goes to Aaron and says in very spiritual language, what the heck? What are you doing? I leave you guys alone for two days. And Aaron says the best line ever. The people made me take their gold, so I put it in the fire and a calf came out. Like, oh, really? Yeah. Doesn't that sound like you're supposed to think of Genesis, right? Where, where God finds Adam and Eve and they're naked and hiding. And he says, what, what's going on? And Adam says, the woman you made told me to eat some fruit, so I ate it. And then the woman says, the snake you made tricked me. Okay, blame, blame, blame. Uh, as mom would say, growth begins where blaming ends. Did I ever tell you that line? That was one of my mom's best lines. Well, I don't know if it was her best. I hated it, but it's true. Growth begins where blaming ends. And I said, no, it doesn't. That was my comeback. So uh, at this point now, the people are ticked. They've lost their gold. They've lost their God. Moses is, in their mind, being very, like, totally unreasonable. And so they start to rise up. Moses then goes to his tent and yells, whoever stands with the living God, come to me. Rally to me. Right? Protect me. They're going to kill Moses. One tribe answered the bell, the tribe of Levi, right? It says that the tribe of Levi to the man grabbed their swords and ran to Moses and protected him. And then Moses told them, find every male who did this and kill them. Whether it's your brother or your son, we have to purge this from our ranks. And they waded through the camp and did this. Okay. Now, at that point, then, Moses gathers everybody, of course, simmered down. When folks start paying in blood, everybody started simmering down. And when they got control of the situation, Moses proclaimed to the tribe of Levi in front of everyone, quote, today you ordained yourself. Right. They were priests. Tribe of Levi were always priests. But their actions proved that that ordination went right to their hearts. Today you ordained yourselves for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of your own sons and brothers. And now the Lord will bestow a blessing on you. Okay. 
So that's what Moses tells the people. Now Moses goes back to the Lord. This is the key. Moses is doing the thing, right? Remember in the Bible, I told you, it says he stood in the gap between God's wrath and the people's helplessness. So he goes back to the Lord and the Lord tells him flat out, I'm leaving. It's it's a very anthropomorphic understanding of God. But the way you read it, God's saying, forgive me, I'm going to snap. Right? Everything I've done for them. And they hate me. They don't want me? Fine. I'm out. When Moses tells that Moses just begs the Lord, please don't. Please, I'll stay. And then Moses tells the Lord, excuse me, I said it wrong. Moses tells the Lord, don't do it, please. But make no mistake, I'm with them. You leave them, you leave me. God loves Moses, so he stays. Um, In the end, uh, the people felt awful. They kind of woke up from the spell they placed on themselves. And it says they divested themselves of all their treasure. And and their Lord is yours. We'll follow, we promise. Okay, now here's a little, you know, they didn't keep their promise. So at this point, God changes the system a little. Okay, he moves it from big signs and wonders to I'm going to talk to Moses. Moses is going to talk to you. Okay, and I want to read this because it's really quite beautiful. Now, Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp far away from others. And everyone who sought the Lord would go to that tent of meaning. Whenever Moses went to the tent, all the people stood up. Every man stood at his tent door and looked after Moses until he got to his tent. When the Moses entered it, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the door of the tent, and God would speak to Moses. When everyone saw the pillar of cloud standing at the door of the tent, they would worship. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses returned to the camp, his servant Joshua did not depart it. Moses said to the Lord, well, okay, so then Moses kind of, okay, do you remember the job you gave me, Lord? And do you see what jerks they are? Yeah, you told me to get these people to the land of milk and honey, and you see they are impossible to lead. Quote, now therefore I beg you, I love this. I do. This is such a beautiful, this is Moses' heart. Okay, it's clear now the Lord is going to give him whatever he asks. So here's what he says. I beg you, if I found any favor in your sight, teach me your ways so that I can know you better. Consider too that this nation is your people. If your presence will not go with me, do not carry us from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight? Is it not if you go with us so that we are unique, I and your people from all the others who worship on the earth? So Moses is saying, look, if, if you're going to give me anything, I just want to know you. I want to know you. And I want you to stay with us no matter what happens. Moses, the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. You have found favor in my sight. I know you by name. Moses then cried out, show me your glory. Show me your glory. And this is where this beautiful thing happens, where God tells Moses, cowboy up, I'm coming. 
and Moses covers himself and God walks by. And all it says Moses saw was just the, the a small part of the back of God's feet and his whole appearance changed. White as snow, it, it shocked him, yeah? Uh, so then Mo, the Lord tells Moses, okay, we're going to redo the, cl- the commandments thing, right? Let's, let's you, you know, you broke them. Uh, and so they remake the new tablets. And um, they, the people accept it. Okay. So God and his people are reconciled again. Because of Moses, the people repent, forgive the phrasing, God calms down. Again, this is an anthropomorphic understanding of God. God calms down, and then he even gets kind of gooey. But he does tell them, right, after telling them, look, I love you knuckleheads, right? You're my people. I'm not going to leave. Let's do this together. But then he tells them, new rule, <laughs> okay? Here's the new rule. If you see a pagan altar, tear it down. If you see a foreign idol, tear it down because clearly you can't be trusted, okay? It's almost like saying to the alcoholic, I'm not even gonna have alcohol in the house, all right? How we doing? Yeah? So things kind of move along. Uh, Moses goes and visits God every day in the tent and they, they talk and have coffee, it's lovely. And they come out with all kinds of rules and all kinds of, hey, this is how we're going to build the tent to hold the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant. And you remember, the Ark of the Covenant is that beautiful wooden box inlaid in gold in which they kept the Ten Commandments, right? The two tablets. They kept the bones of Joseph, the patriarch. They kept some of the manna from the desert. And they kept that one rock that gave them water. Okay, so that's all in the Ark of the Covenant. Um, and God gives them rules for how it should look, how everything should be decorated. They really stay quite a while just in that spot, getting directions from the Lord as to how they should do things in terms of worshiping him. <clears throat> it's one of those things I think that's a good pause for us to remember the more sacred something is, the more we put fences around it to protect it, not to limit access but to protect it. So when I was a kid, most churches had a communion rail, right? A gate that uh, marked off where the sanctuary was. And at some point the narrative became, oh, that was to stop people. Um, No, that was to make a clear delineation between the sanctuary and the nave. The nave is the place where we all sit. The sanctuary is the place where we participate in the last supper. Yeah, that the primary goal wasn't keep people out, no, it's to mark off. And that's the ways we, we want to make sure we think about the rules. When we talk about, like yesterday, I did a funeral, and clearly most people there weren't Catholic. Okay, So when it comes time for communion, I give that little speech. You know, in a moment, we will be offering the sacrament of Holy Communion. For those who are Catholic and in a position to receive communion, please come down the center aisle, and then I do this, and return by the side. Yeah. Uh, For those of you who are not Catholic, you can stay in your seats. Or if you wish, come forward with your arms crossed like this and receive a blessing. There's times this this, this thing in my brain, I'm a people pleaser, right? So I think, I don't want to say that. Because they're not going to understand it. 
Americans seem only capable of saying exclusion or non-exclusion. And that's not what this is. That Eucharist means something to us that it doesn't mean to them. And one of us is right. Yeah. So if we're right, then how awful that after every funeral or wedding, we find hosts on the floor because people receive it and think it's plastic or that it's just bread. And they don't mean to be disrespectful or or sacrilegious, but they're being so. And for us, we protect the sacred. We put appropriate fences around it. Yeah. So the more sacred something is, the more rules there are. That's why, remember, we talked about this with sex, right? That whenever people say, why are there so many rules about sex? Because it's the most sacred thing a human can do, right? Two people imitating God, right? Becoming with their bodies one creature. And then from that life is issued forth. Holy crap, that's sacred. That's the most sacred thing I think a human can do. Create an immortal soul. So, of course, there's a ton of rules, right? If it's just recreation, if it's just about a feeling, well, then why do we have any rules? The feeling is a fruit, not the goal. Okay. So that's why there's pages and pages and pages of rules, right? You're going to make a lamp. The lamp will be this big. It will be these measurements. You will carry, you know, all these rules. So at that point, God uh, has, you know, revealed himself to his people. And the rest of the story of God, Moses, and the people is a basic pattern that's going to repeat over and over. And there's no better example of it than Numbers 11, Okay, the number 11, Uh, the book of Numbers, chapter 11. How does it go? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Okay, so in the book of Numbers, chapter 11, um, a few things happen. Uh, The people get discontent. And this happens over and over and over. They don't want to live in the desert. They don't like that food is day to day. They can't store food. Um, They're totally dependent on the Lord every day for what they need, and they hate it. They would rather have stockpiled food like everyone else. Um, And then they cry out to God, or they cry out that they're going to kill Moses and go back to Egypt. God hears and says to Moses, almost every time, I love this, get out of my way. I'm going to wipe them out and start over with you. And every time Moses is like, you got to kill me too. And God won't do it. He loves Moses. Moses loves him. Um, Moses finds himself overburdened with ruling these unruly, unrulable people. And so God sends his spirit out on some elders to help him lead. And so the spirit of God is spread out from Moses to other people to take some of the heat off of him. But this pattern happens over and over and over that the people get a little little um, saucy and Moses gets just sick of it. And eventually it's gonna mess with Moses. They finally break Moses. Um, and he loses faith with God just for a few moments. But at this point, God had already told the people, I'm not letting you in the Holy Land. I'm going to get you close, but the next generation's going in. In a sense, you're too messed up. And it, it, it got to Moses. And so then God had to tell Moses that too. 
You've been tainted by these people. You're not going to get into the Holy Land. Okay. So um, at one point, they're close. And a series of events happens that'll break your heart. Uh, Moses sends a scouting party out. Right. Okay. Right over there. The land is just over that way. I want you all to go scout it out. Tell us what you see. And they come back with these tales of wonder. There's food everywhere. It's crazy. And if you see Israel today, you might think there's not food everywhere. That's a result of land. Yeah, we can get into that later. It looked different back then. Okay, farmers controlled the land, so they manipulated water flow. Uh, they did all kinds of things uh, to make the land green and lush, and that's what these scouts come back and report. They're like, "Holy crap, it's amazing!" But then they do mention <laughs> there's some big dudes over there, and one of them says they're so big we look like little grasshoppers next to them, mm. and. I don't know if this is important. How are we for time? Yeah, I could do this real quick. Do you remember I told you that right before Moses' birth, history tells us, and you can look it up uh, under anything, just search for invasion of the sea peoples. And no one knows who these cats were. All they know is that mighty, mighty Egypt was trucking along when all of a sudden this army appeared on their shores with um, medals that they hadn't seen before, with military tactics they hadn't seen before, and they burned through Egypt, right? Just wiped everything out. And then they went up into what we call Israel and dispersed. Um, when they went up into what we call Israel, which they called Canaan, they wiped everybody out. Now, who were they? We don't know. I've read theories that they're a Greek army that got exiled around the same time. Uh, we, we really aren't clear. But we do know for a long time, genetically, these sea people hung around. Because everybody talks about the height and the bigness of these folks. The average human at this point was about five foot five. People were not big compared to now. Uh, I'm six foot one. I would have been nobody would have ever seen anyone my height. You know? um, whoever these people were, we don't know how tall they were. We just know to the Jews, to the Egyptians, to the Canaanites, whoever they were, they were freakishly big. Um, and again, in that day and age, that could have been 5'9". Isn't that wild to think of? People were not big like we are now. Um, so these scouts come back. And the report is 99% good news. The 1% is, holy crap, there's some big dudes over there. But then as the word gets out in the camp, the story grows a little bit. And by the time word gets to everybody, it's looked like it's an okay land, but it's filled with horrors. Right? This is the classic function of gossip. And the people rise up and revolt. They revolt against Moses. They're like, oh, heck no. We're going back to Egypt. It's better to be slaves and alive than to be over there and dead. And it gets awful. And this really breaks Moses. This is where Moses gets broke. Um, they then start griping about, quote, this wretched food, namely the bread falling from heaven. Uh, and... 
in the end, God's done with it and sends, quote, seraph serpents, uh, seraph fiery, poisonous snakes come into the camp and start biting people and they get sick and die. And of course, classic pattern, things just got bad. Oh, Moses, help! Right? So God says, goes to Moses. God go, Moses goes to God and he does his priest brokering. And God says, all right, tell you what you do. Take a pole, make an image of the snakes that are biting you, and then just walk through the camp. And tell anyone if they look up and see the snake, it will heal them of the poison. Now for you and I, Jesus quotes this story much later, right? In John chapter, <clears throat> John chapter, pardon? I think it's four or seven. I'm not sure. But he's talking to Nicodemus, Jesus is. And what he points out is that that seraph serpent mounted on a pole, when it was lifted up and people looked, they were saved from the poison. Jesus is giving us an image. He's saying, and I'm going to do the same thing. What's killing you? What's killing you and I? Our human nature. So what did Jesus do? Took it on and put it to death on the cross. And we look at that crucifix. Yeah, it's the same healing. It's a very powerful image. And it's one the Jews would have understood perfectly. Because this story, they all knew. So now everything's simmered down. Everybody's about to be, about to chill out. And Moses now divides the land. When we get there, okay, this tribe's going to go here. This tribe's going to go here. This tribe, right? He's divvying it all up and he's getting ready to die. And this has been for Moses over 50 years of dealing with unbelievably stiff neck and awful people, but whom he felt such pity for and who the Lord felt pity for. Slavery broke them. Yeah, slavery broke them. And however, however mad Moses gets, however mad God gets, they never give up on these people. And you think, well, didn't God say he was going to leave? Do you really think he was going to leave? Or do you really think he's pulling from Moses what was in there? Right? It's this idea where people will say, well, God tests others. Ish. Depends what you mean. God never sends you pain to see how you do. He might allow circumstances to show you what you're capable of. Yeah. God doesn't need info on you. He's got it all. You need info on you. Would Moses have ever thought, right, at the beginning of this whole craziness, this dude who killed an Egyptian soldier and fled to the desert and hung out for 20 years, uh, would he have ever thought, yeah, in just a few years, you're going to go back to Egypt. You're going to liberate a whole nation. Yeah, and you're going to lead them through the desert and they're going to stretch your patience like you can't possibly imagine. But you're going to get to talk to God face to face. He wouldn't have believed you. God doesn't say the things he says to Moses to test Moses, but to show Moses what's in there. Moses was capable of unspeakable compassion and empathy a man of profound humility. This is why he's one of the greatest Jews who ever lived. Where even Jesus talks about Moses this way. One of the greatest men to have ever lived. And just so you know, Jesus knows everybody. Whoop, my mic dropped. Sorry, mic drop. 
because I'm gangster. Okay, hold on. Hooking up the mic. You know what I was thinking? I might want to get, we should get one of those table mics. Um, or no. We're searching, we're actually shopping for one. Get out of here. I saw a video of someone on YouTube and they were talking into it and they were so loud and clear. Oh, yes. Yeah, and that my, my beard isn't a factor. True. Yeah. It is the, probably the biggest thing we've struggled with, the sound. Yeah, and I would say any struggles we've had are your fault because yes. of your drinking. Yes. And I don't want to make any judgments, but you're a bad person. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so... <laughs> Right, that's like, I don't want to make any judgments, is the new no offense. Yeah, no offense, but, you know, I hate you. Okay, that's offensive. What were we talking but about? don't take it. Yeah. Um, so now we get to beautiful Moses, and it's the end of his life. And all he knows, and that he tragically came to, he came to peace with, but it hurt his heart. He's not going to get to see the land he's been trying to get these people to forever. But then God, because he's God, does something beautiful. So stick with me. Quote, then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, a peak which faces Jericho. And the Lord showed him all of the land, Gilead, and as far as Dan, all of Naphtali, the land of Ephraim, and Manasseh, all the land of Judah, as far as the Western Sea, the Negeb, the plains, as far as Zoar. The Lord said to him, Moses, this is the land that I promised. It is the land I promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you and your descendants. I have decided to let you see it with your own eyes even though you will not cross over. Isn't that sweet? So he takes him up there and you think, how could Moses see all that? That's their point. God took the time to reveal to him, this is what you worked your butt off for. This is what you gave your whole life for. I want you to see it. Quote, and so there in the land of Moab, Moses, the servant of God, died as the Lord said. He was buried in a valley in the land of Moab, and to this day no one knows the place of his burial. Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were undimmed and his vigor unabated. The Israelites wept for Moses in the plains of Moab for 30 days. It took 30 days to complete the period of grief. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom since Moses had placed his hands on him. And so the Israelites gave him their obedience. Since then, no prophet has ever arisen like Moses. The Lord knew him face to face. And all the signs and wonders the Lord sent him to perform in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh and all of his servants and against all the land and the great might and awesome power that Moses displayed in the sight of all Israel. Isn't that beautiful? So now you think, well, where are we now? Well, bad news. Moses is dead. Uh, good news. So was everyone else who had ever been a slave. And what you find is that the story of Moses ends with this beautiful, amazing reality. The sons and daughters of those stiff-necked, stubborn, broken people were frickin' rock stars, right? This second generation blew up the whole land. They were brave, they were obedient, they were pure of heart. They steamrolled Canaan out of obedience to God. 
And I, I think that's all any parent could ask, yeah, is that my kids are better than me. Right? That's all a parent would ask. And that's exactly what happened. That these broken, broken former slaves were able to teach their kids via negativa how to follow the Lord. Right? Through the dark way. Don't do what I did. Um, and I love that. I do. How much beauty and light God brought out of what is chapter after chapter of horror. So that wraps up Moses for us. And I can't even say his name without smiling. I, I, I love just how beautiful he was. And you may remember, I think at the beginning of this, I read you that the 10 reasons Moses is the greatest Jew who ever lived. And number one was his humility, right? Uh, number two was his great compassion for animals. Right, that all through the all through the story of Moses, there's these beautiful little stories uh, of him being compassionate to animals. There was his fidelity to God, his obedience, the fact that he just never gave up in the face of the ridiculously huge obstacles. Some of those obstacles were nature. Some of those obstacles were outsiders. Most of those obstacles were his family and friends. Yeah, the people traveling with him, these broken, broken people whom he just loved. Ah, Moses. Um, so what we'll do next is a couple things. So on Friday, we're going to do our usual question and answer session at Kim Rose uh, Fashions, uh, which I know crap about. Fa I'm wearing a T-shirt in jeans right now and my socks. Maybe they match, maybe they don't. I have no idea. Uh, but I know like when I go in there, all those clothes are so beautiful, really. Um, and she's kind of an artist in the sense of, like every time you see her, doesn't she? She just looks like a million bucks. And she took that love of beauty and has brought it to our community. And of course, since it's all about beauty, she wants me there. <laughs> She said, bring that money maker with you. That's this. So uh, all kidding aside, I will be there Friday live at noon. Come on in, buy some clothes or whatever else you buy there. I saw hats. Um, and what, what, what? At the top. At the top. I don't know. In the Grand Mall and Grand Blake. I found it. Oh, okay. So you might think, where is Kim Rose Fashions? Google it. I'm just kidding. Uh, it's in the Grand Mall. <laughs> it's in the Grand Mall and Grand Blank. It'll be a grand time. And you know what else is a grand time? Anyone visiting Celtic Catholic Bookstore in Oxford, Michigan, where saints are saints and martyrs are martyrs. I don't know. I just made that up. Um... But I do love, yeah, try to support local guys, huh? As best you can, make sure we're buying our Christmas stuff and everything from our local dealers, including Kim Rose Fashion or Celtic Cove Catholic Bookstore. Um, yeah, so you can stop in and see us while we're doing the show. And you can buy pretty, pretty clothes. And if you want, I'll put them on and dance around. Oh, boy. <laughs> 
you know, you and your mom always look beautiful too. You guys should, you like that. You know how to make like clothes match. Thank you. Yeah, you should come. I will. I will. Oh, I love her mom. Have you met her mom? No, oh. Can you give a shout out to Gabby Busk, who's watching your four-year-old little fan? Okay, who? Watching Gabby. Gabby. Oh, Gabby's watching. Oh, Gabby. Hi, this is Father Joe. I love you very much. Thank you for letting me have time with your mom today. How blessed am I? Ah. Oh. And you know your mom does wonderful things. Wonderful things. There's people who have homes because of her. There's people who have food to eat because of her. How wonderful is that? Ah. Okay. So, tomorrow, eat turkey and stuffing. Oh, I'm ending early. Shoot. Is that all right? Should I? Oh, there is a question. Should I do that? Or I don't know. Okay. It says, why did they take the rail away? I have my personal opinion. Do you want to hear my personal opinion? Yes. Because Americans only know how to do constipation or diarrhea. <laughs> Seriously, every choice we're offered, it has to be one extreme or the other, and we're so insane, right? Everybody else did Vatican II and kept their communion rails, but uh, we just kind of winged it um, and started saying things like, well, it was a barrier to keep God's people from the altar. No, it wasn't. Right? I, you know, the whole thing of, oh, the priest praying with his back to people. No. The priest was praying with the people. Right? He was facing the same direction as him. The bus driver mass, we used to call it. Because the priest always looked like a bus driver up there. And I'm not saying abandon all these, you know, Vatican II reforms. I'm just saying, I think as we move farther from Vatican II chronologically, maybe our attitude will get a little healthier about it. So that we don't describe the pre-Vatican II church as either a horror or some kind of utopia. Right? Wherever there are humans, there are train wrecks. That's how it goes. Pre-Vatican II church had its problems. Post-Vatican II has its problems. But they took out the Earl Trail and I don't know. Uh, Moses, I forgot to say this. Why did they not say where he's buried? Do you know this? The Jews would never say where he was buried. It's like Genghis Khan. You know that? No one knows where they buried Genghis Khan. Do you know about that? When When Genghis Khan died... They send out a hundred horsemen with his body and some treasure, because, you know, you're going to need some cheese in heaven. And uh, then those hundred men were killed when on their way back. And then the men who killed them, they were killed on their way back. And they did all of it so no one would ever know where Genghis Khan is buried. And with Moses, somewhere at Mount Nebo, they buried him in the land of Moab, but no idea where, because they were afraid the Jews would worship him. That's what they were afraid of. They were afraid that second generation who loved him so much would find his place and it would turn into worship. It would go from commemoration, right, to worship, which that's Moses' humility again. huh? Who do you think will win the game this weekend? You know, here's what my nephew, my nephew is a huge U of M guy. And he, I find, this is Ryan, I find he's right most of the time. He said it's all on the quarterback for U of M. Is it McNamara? No. Yeah, yeah. McNamara? He said if he's on, huh? J.J. McCarthy. That one. It's that one. What is it? J.J. McCarthy. J.J. McCarthy, who also did a show on 760 AM back in the 90s. Right. Um, But uh, that's what he said. It's all on McCarthy. He said it's a battle of quarterbacks. So, you know, it's funny. I I said to him, my suspicion is somebody's going to win by 50. 
right? It's just going to be one of those games where it gets out of hand because uh, this is two very passionate teams and uh, and their biggest rivalry game. So I don't know. I I don't know. I don't care. We're playing Penn State because God hates us. <laughs> For the land grant trophy. Yeah. <sighs> You know, I think I get all those locker rooms mixed up, right? I traveled with MSU for years, and I think, is that the locker room they paint pink, or is that Iowa? It's Iowa. Okay. You know, when you're in the visiting locker room and a lot of the Big Ten stadiums, they do everything they can to make you uncomfortable without going too far. It's very clever, right? I never got offended by it. I don't know anyone who did. But like at Iowa, they painted the locker room pink. And it was this tiny, crappy little locker room, and it was hilarious. I mean, I never heard a guy offended at it. They all saluted. That's game. That's that's a, you know. Uh, but Penn State, what I remember, I have memories for every stadium, right? But Penn State, I just remember the feeling that we got off the plane, and then we were on a bus, and there's just nothing. I mean, nothing. And then, bam, this beautiful campus, beautiful stadium. Uh, that was crazy. But I did like playing there. And I uh, actually shook Joe Pa's hand there uh, um, in what turned out to be his last game. Yeah, as coach, right? Remember, we played them the last game of the season. Oy vey. We were, I think we went to the playoffs that year. I don't know. All the years run together. Yeah. Stadium I liked the least was OSU. Stadium I liked the most in terms of fans was Iowa. Those guys were a riot. Uh, Wisconsin was a hoot. Yeah. I was pre-Rutgers in Maryland, obviously, who have no business in the Big Ten. So uh, can we pray for the Lions? Yes. We're going to need it because we're playing... <laughs> The Buffalo freaking Bills. I don't want to play the Bills. Can't we play Chicago again? I would enjoy that. <laughs> Who am I cheering for? A, a bomb. <laughs> what? No? No, I don't know. I don't care. Oh, yeah, you know I mean that as a joke. Yeah. It's like the gas pump thing. I put up that post. I pulled into a gas station in Perry, Michigan, and they had an MSU pump. MSU, ghost I pull right up, and I'm filling my tank, and I'm pouring gas in the back of my truck. And then I look, and they have a U of M pump. And I took a picture of it, and I said, not if the gas was free. And what was awesome is my U of M friends, they loved it. Like, there was some great, you know, one guy said, Father, put that in your car, and you'd be undefeated. And I think that's hysterical. One guy said, don't put that gas in your truck and drive through a tunnel. I thought that was awesome. <laughs> so for my U of M fans, thank you for having fun with that, right? And nobody got nasty. It was just a riot. But anyway, um, let's see. Why do you not like the shoe? Oh, the horse. Ohio Buckeyes Stadium. <gasps> the things people said to me there. Oh my gosh. So I have my collar on and my Michigan State shirt and I'm on the sidelines and the things people said to me, I'm serious, were the most vile and it was the whole game. Like they saw a priest and decided it was time for pedophile jokes. 
And the good thing is we curb stomped OSU that year, right? That was D'Antonio. And D'Antonio at that point, last I knew, was the only coach in the Big Ten with a winning record against Urban Meyer. Um, but two years that I went there, I like I almost didn't go the second year. I was like, because I get so, I don't know, they can get in my head. Right, and if I was playing, that would make a difference. But it was more just, man, ugh. Yeah. Now, walking to the stadium was fun. People were very, you know, like a lot of Ohio State fans were grilling, you know, and hey, you know, I don't know. But holy crap. Like, at one point, one of the East Lansing cops who was on the sideline, and I never saw this, walked over and asked them to stop. It was just, ugh. Ugh. Yeah, so hated the horseshoe. Sorry. Um, that's right. They did call it the horseshoe. The shoe. Yeah, the shoe because it's got the. Yep. But heck of a team. Heck of a program. And by all accounts, a clean one. I loved. What's his name? Who was their coach before Meyer? Moody. Oh, no. Oh, Woody Hayes. Just a beautiful vest. guy. The, the sweater vest guy. Just yeah, a saint. Uh, oh, my gosh. Man, not Cooper. Cooper couldn't. Uh-huh. I can't believe I'm freezing up on his name. He's probably the greatest, in my opinion, one of the greatest college coaches ever. Jim, Jim Tressel. Tressel. Loved Tressel. What a classy, honorable guy. Yeah. If you ever, if you're interested, there's a documentary called Youngstown Boys about uh, Coach Tressel and um, that running back they had that was just oh. the greatest I've ever, I mean, one of the best running backs I've ever seen in college. Um, and of course, his name eludes me. But okay, sorry. Have you heard the story? Read the story of the death of Moses, the kiss? Nope, no idea. Uh, sorry, I don't know what any of that means. Um, okay, well, it looks like we got one more question coming in, and then I'll wrap us up. How's that? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I just got back from a. Something in the Holy Land. Yeah, I don't know what that is. I thought maybe you could pick it out. Oh, man, look. Mm-mm. I'm sorry, I don't know that word, but thank you. Someone went to the Holy Land and prayed for me and my intentions. I really appreciate that. I, uh, in fact, you oh, know. She meant to say pilgrimage. Oh, pilgrimage, cool. You know, it is funny. Let me use just a couple minutes here to, because I meant to do this at the beginning. I wanted to tell you that on the Feast of Thanksgiving, the Feast of Thanksgiving. <laughs> Am I Catholic or what? The other day, did I tell you this when I was at the restaurant and I did this over my cup? I had crumbs on my fingers, so I did like what I do at Mass yeah. in case I have the Blessed Sacrament. And I wasn't even thinking. I, I did this over my cup. And I, I was like, there's something deeply wrong with me. <laughs> but I want to tell you guys, uh, thank you um, for your support of this podcast. And Uh, What I mean by that, obviously, we don't ask for money. I mean support in the sense of telling people about it, uh, supporting it, downloading it. Again, it's funny. We are in the top 2% of all podcasts now, and that's without commercials. That's without fundraisers. um, And that's counter to how it's supposed to be done. Yeah, um, and I'm going to be vague. But there was a Catholic podcast that I enjoyed, and they did well. And then did a show, a political show, 
right? And it was easy. You know, Democrats bad, Republicans good. Um, and for weeks, the guy talked about how his numbers blew up, right, for that one, the number of downloads. And then within a year, that's all his show was. It was like everything else out there. Uh, sprinkle a little holy water on politics and just sit there in rage. And, um, and it broke my heart. Uh, to see that happen. And it was so slow of a process. I obviously don't think he knew. And I'm praying for him. And I did write him an email and just, you know, gently said, do you ever think about this? Listen to your show two years ago and listen to your show today and ask if that's a better man or a worse one. Right. Which we all got to do. For me, honestly, that temptation, I don't think has ever really shook out for me, praise the Lord, to be concerned with getting an audience. Um, uh, but you've got me an audience. You know, does this make sense? And I'm so grateful. And I'm grateful that you accept who I am. Um, and also know that I think, you know, I'm striving to be better. Um, and the fact, again, when I choose vulnerability, um, and you honor that. And I'm so grateful uh, with all of my heart. I cannot believe how much encouragement you send me. And uh, just this morning, I got a letter from my Martha. Oh, you didn't get one? I did. I got a book from Sister. Oh, but did you get a letter from Martha? I got a book from Sister. Okay, but remember when we were asking if you got a letter from Martha? I got a book from Sister. <laughs> sister, I didn't get one. That's why I hate potato. It's because I hate tomato ketchup chips or whatever they're called. Uh, ketchup tomato chip. No, come Holy Spirit. Do you remember what they're called? Yes. Demon spawn. Yes. Yeah. Demon scabs. I think. What are they? Yeah. Have you had? There is a phenomenon. And I'm telling the truth. Ketchup flavored potato chips. Ketchup flavored Doritos as well. And I would rather be hung by my feet and beat with wet fish than ever have to eat that again. <laughs> so tomorrow, no show. Eat like crazy people uh, and be grateful, right? Focus tomorrow on why you love your family, each individual member of your family, <laughs> and not like general, right? Try to be specific. Uh, focus on what you're grateful for in your spiritual life. What do you love most about God, right? And that changes day to day, doesn't it? Because we change. Um, try to really work at specific gratitude. And then hear me out. This is going to sound cheesy, and I want to be clear, I hate doing it too. What are you grateful for about you? What is something about you that is unique and that you thank the Lord for? So that's your goal. Gratitude to God, gratitude for your family, gratitude for you. And gratitude for my delicate floweriness. I dropped my mic. I said delicate floweriness, and I dropped my mic. So salad pray, and I'll see you beautiful people Friday unless you pray mass with us on TV at 8. Did I get everything in? Yes. All right. Celtic Cove Catholic Bookstore. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus, we're creeping up on Thanksgiving, and we're so grateful. We ask you to be with any of our family members who are sick and might miss the festivities. And we ask that we all have peaceful and joyful time with whoever we gather with on that beautiful day. 
Today we ask for your help in being grateful, in being specifically encouraging and grateful. Lord, gratitude heals wounds. It strengthens our connection to you. It is vital to our spiritual life. Strengthen our commitment to be grateful. And today I'm grateful for Catholic Charities. In whatever county in the Diocese of Lansing they are in, Lord, they are making a difference and they are obeying your command to care for the least among us. And we're grateful for their blood and their sweat in your name and on our behalf. We ask that you meet their needs financially and help them to be, uh, to help their sense of trust in you to be strengthened. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you for Moses. What a righteous and beautiful man. And may we never give up on your people. And may we always be standing in the gap between anger and reconciliation. Lord, you know the people we love. We, we love them very much and, and we worry about them. And you know all the circumstances in our lives that we fret about. We give all of it to you, Lord, because we love you and we trust you. And may Almighty God bless you all, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. My Kung Fu is strong. I'll see you guys on Friday. Peace. Is it over? No, it's never over.